I wasn't going to share this, but, but I have to now. The, when Pastor Josiah was up earlier talking about losing that screw, then last night we could have said that before that that he has a screw loose. <laughs> okay, enough of that. Uh, Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the, God, in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we just thank you for this day. We thank you that we can come and, and worship you, Lord, that we can come. We're not perfect, but we can come freely to you through Christ, Lord. We just thank you for that. And, Lord, we just ask that you would open our hearts to um, pastors message from your word today and and lord we just also ask comfort for the madison family and uh and losing win lord and just lift them up to you as well in jesus name amen i just want to make mention how Good it is to see Clyde and Kay Stanton here this morning, huh? Praying for you, Clyde. Good to see you. And good to see Greg and Emily here with little Oliver, huh? And next week, Greg is preaching for us. And I think Frankie's interpreting, right? Is that still true? <clears throat> so looking forward to next week uh, to, have, to have that. <clears throat> well, hopefully you're still in Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. Uh, last week we started that series called Strong Church. We're coming at that from the angle of a strong Christian makes a strong marriage, makes a strong family, makes a strong church. And so through September, save next week, the rest of September, uh, we're preaching messages on marriage uh, to seek to strengthen our marriages uh, leading up to, again, that marriage retreat uh, that's coming at the end of the month. Uh, then October is our month of missions and our theme for that is Defend the Faith, and I'm really looking forward to that. We have a number of great missionaries and speakers lined up for October. Then November, we'll jump into Strong Family, and we'll talk about what the Word of God says about how being a mom and dad and being, being children in a godly home, just the immense privilege and responsibility of raising a godly, a godly family. So strong Christian makes a strong marriage, makes a strong church, or makes a strong family, makes a strong church. I knew I would mess that up somehow as I, as I say it. But Galatians 2.20 is, was our text last week. It's our text this week. Last week, we focused on the fact that by virtue of our union with Christ, that we have died. We died by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We died to sin. We died to self-centeredness. We died to building our own petty little selfish kingdoms. We talked about how the, the main barrier to the development of a godly marriage is the self-centered, sinful human heart. That's the main barrier to having a godly marriage, a sinful, self-centered heart. We refer to it as me marriage, the view that marriage is transactional, which is to say marriage is a transaction where I do what I do for my happiness and my fulfillment, whereas biblically marriage is an opportunity to die to self and to live for the good of your spouse, to serve them and put their needs and their desires above your own. That what you must do is die. 
But the secret to marriage is I die, which is to say you must take yourself out of focus. Take yourself out of the center. You must live in the reality that by faith in Christ, and we've saying it over and over this morning, that by faith in Christ, I have died. I have been crucified with Christ. That's what Paul says in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. I died. I died on the cross with Christ, my Lord and my Savior. So if you want a, a truly happy marriage that brings glory to God, you need to treat your self-centeredness as the main problem in your marriage. Again, you need to get yourself out of the center of the marriage. You need to stop making excuses for selfishness. You need to take the Bible seriously. You need to take your union with Christ by faith seriously. And you need to commit to give up. You need to commit to die. You need to commit to live out that reality of what is yours by faith in Christ. And you do that regardless of what your spouse does. You seek to follow Christ. You make it your ambition to please Christ regardless if your spouse chooses to die to self or not. And when you do so, you will find an immediate sense of liberation, almost waking up to a whole new reality When you get yourself out of the way, your sin and selfish-centered heart out of the way, it's like waking up to a whole new reality, a whole new perspective, a whole new way of life. The way we said this last week is you must die before you die. Remember that? That dying is the best way of living. It's the best kind of living. Jesus said it this way, whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. So if you want to live, you must die. You must die to self, die to sin, die to self-centeredness. Dying is the best kind of living. The best kind of living. Again, me marriage is so small-minded and so self-focused. It's, it's also not what marriage is for. Marriage is not for your self-fulfillment. That's not the purpose of marriage. Marriage is about the glory and the honor of the Lord Jesus Christ and displaying the gospel. Marriage is not for your self-fulfillment. We believe so many lies about marriage. And uh, last week, uh, I came across this, and we put this in your bulletin. It's called, uh, it asks the question, have you been lied to about your marriage? And for me, it's the best example I've ever seen of the world's view of marriage versus God's view of marriage and how this world is lying to you over and over and over about marriage and its purposes. Please take the time, not now as I preach, but some point uh, to look through that, to think through that, and see if you've bought any of those lies, if you're living in light of any of those lies, and let the Word of God renew your heart and change your perspective on marriage. But again, I would say that the chief lie, the biggest lie that so many have believed about marriage is that it's about self, self-fulfillment. And so we talked about last week, when we make marriage about me, then your spouse becomes your savior. You start to look to your spouse to satisfy you and make you happy, and your spouse does okay with that most of the time or some of the time or, or here and there, but inevitably your spouse is going to fail you, not because your spouse is an awful person, but because your spouse is not designed 
designed to bring you ultimate satisfaction and happiness and fulfillment. They can't do that. Only the Lord Jesus Christ can do that. What your spouse is to do is to help lead you to Christ in whom you will find ultimate fulfillment and happiness and peace and joy. So that's the secret to marriage. I, what? I, I die. Die before you die. Dying is the best kind of living. And this morning we'll add on to that. Not only did we die with Christ, but we were risen with Christ. And so this morning we will consider the power for marriage. And the power for marriage is this. Christ in me. Christ in me. That's amazing truth. We, we know that marriage is hard work, that marriage is not 40 or 50 hours a week. Marriage is 168 hours every week, seven days a week, 365 days a year. Marriage is not part-time. There's no vacation. There's no days off. There's no sick leave when it comes to marriage. Marriage is hard. Where do we find the strength to endure, let alone to thrive in our marriage? What is more, where do we find the strength to die to self? Is dying to self easy? It's hard, isn't it? It's very difficult. Dying to my wants and my rights and my desires does not come easily. But what peace, what joy, what life as we die to your wants and your desires and you live for Christ and Christ lives through you. Also, what power for transformation. The power for marriage is staggering. It is breathtaking. It is powerful. It is the life and power of Christ in you. That should revolutionize your marriage. The, the power of Christ in you to transform your marriage, to empower you, to lay down your life, to crucify self, and to live for the praise and glory of God, and to live to serve and to love your spouse as Christ has called you to do. Dying is the best kind of living because it means Christ in me. Christ in me. Look at our text. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul is saying there has been a radical transformation that Paul is no longer a living for self. He's no longer self-centered and self-righteous. He is now living a Christ-centered life. His new life is a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. My word, brothers and sisters in Christ, that is staggering. That is stunning to think about. Christ lives in me. That is staggering truth. That should cause us to bow down and worship that God Almighty, the second person of the Trinity, who created all things and sustains all things, lives where? In me. What a salvation! What a truth. Could anything be more incredible than that? And how different that is from all other religions. 
All other religions set people on this impossible task of trying to earn or favor with God and impress God, earn merit with God, to, to earn your salvation through, through obedience to this set of laws and, and rules and hoping that in the end you did enough. And with Christianity, it comes in and reverses all of that. In Christianity, we find that uh, sin has ruined us that sin has corrupted every fiber of our beings, that we're not basically good, that we are bad to the core, that we are sinful sinners by choice and by nature. And any effort on our strength and and our willpower uh, to please God based on rule-keeping is hopeless and worthless. As I said to you before, that you would have more success trying to cross the Atlantic Ocean in a, in a boat made out of paper than you would trying to earn your way to God by good works and merits and law-keeping and rules. The Scriptures say in Romans chapter 8, verse 8, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. That is your wretched condition apart from faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That God Almighty, who is perfect, demands that you be perfect and that I be perfect. That He demands righteousness. And yet, that's a major problem because you and I, in and of ourselves, are unrighteous. There's not a drop of righteousness in us. There is no one who does good. No, not one. No one who is righteous. Romans 3, 10 and 11. We are all under sin. But praise God in his grace that he provided for us what he demanded from us. He graciously provided his righteousness. And he gives that not by works, but by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I like to put it this way. Sometimes when I, when I speak with other people about this, that I, I believe in salvation by works. What do I mean by that? I believe that we are saved by works, just not my works. I'm saved by the works of another. I'm saved by the works of a Savior whose name is Jesus, who lived a perfect life of obedience, and who, who, who finished the work on the cross, and who died and, and rose from the dead. I believe in the works of Christ, and I renounce my works, and I put my faith and trust in his perfect, finished work. And therein I find salvation. Therein I find that when I place my faith in Christ, that I died, I was crucified with him, yet not I, but now I live, and Christ lives in me. I was co-crucified, I was co-risen with him. That's salvation. That's what we have through Christ, this, this wonderful salvation of Jesus dwelling within me, empowering me to live a life that is pleasing to God. And again, what a reversal. God created Adam and Eve in the garden, and they were created with the ability to sin or not to sin. They were created with the ability to choose to obey God's commandments or disobey God's commandments. Uh, Sadly, sinfully, they chose to go against God's word. And because they chose to go against God's word, it's as if Adam was driving the omnibus of humanity, and he drove us all over the cliff. He took us down with him. 
as much as Christ acted on our behalf, Adam acted on our behalf, the first Adam. And because of his sin, Scripture says in Romans 5.12, all have sinned in him. That's our wretched condition. But again, praise God that he did not choose to leave us there. But again, send his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who conquered sin and death and Satan, and now by faith in Jesus Christ, through the second Adam, we are now, by faith in him, able not to sin or able to sin. When we're in Adam, you're only able to sin. That's all you can do is sin. But by faith in Christ, in the second Adam, you're now made able not to sin, able to sin. You have that choice once again. You are able, Christians, not to sin. And Christ lives in you. So his power will, will live through you. Instead of sinning, you glorify the Father in all that you say and do and think. And we long for the day when the Lord Jesus will return and we'll be able only not to sin. We'll be able only to do that which is pleasing to God. Sin won't even be possible. What a day that will be. That's our salvation that we have in Christ. You ask, how is this possible? How is it possible that Christ comes to live in me? The answer is through the Spirit. Uh, if you would turn with me to Romans chapter 8, we'll, we'll look at that for a second. Uh, it's a great, Romans 6 and Romans 8 are a great cross-reference to Galatians 2.20. Uh, last week we looked briefly at Romans 6. This morning, look at Romans 8, and we're going to pick it up right in verse 9. Keep your finger right there in Galatians 2.20. Uh, but we're going to, just for a moment, consider how is it possible that Christ lives in me? And it's through the Spirit. Romans chapter 8. In fact, I'll read verse 8 again, just so that's, that's in our minds. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, so here's the contrast. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the what? The Spirit... If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Notice how spirit becomes interchangeable with spirit and spirit of Christ. Now verse 10, But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who, note that word, what's the next word? The Holy Spirit, what? Dwells in you. So it's through the Holy Spirit uh, that Christ Almighty uh, dwells in you. Your translation instead of dwells might say lives. The idea is house, abode. Uh, that's partly why we read John 15. Abide in Him. Abide in Christ. The Spirit of God does not dwell on you like a bus stop or some kind of layover at, at an airport. The Spirit of God dwells in you, resides in you uh, 24-7. He doesn't come and go. Uh, that's part of being under the new covenant. And later we're going to partake in the Lord's Supper, which is celebrating the new covenant, and part of which is that the Spirit of God dwells in you, abides in you 24-7. Now you are the Spirit's home, which is to say the Spirit is near you and He's influencing you and you're familiar with Him. If you live with someone, you become very familiar with them, Right? And so the Spirit is living and abiding in you, and He is very familiar with you, and He is influencing you. Think about a married couple and how over time they tend to become mirror images of each other, right? 
even finishing each other's sentences. Sometimes they even begin to look a little bit more like each other, right? You've seen that before? That, that, that's the idea uh, in our text, something very similar to that, the, the closeness and depth of our union with the Lord Jesus Christ through the Spirit is over time you are increasingly more like Christ. That's what the Spirit is doing. Uh, gets to work to that immediately as he comes into your life by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. My goodness, again, Christians, this truth is staggering. Christ Almighty lives in you by the power of the Spirit. Man, if the Bible didn't say it, I almost wouldn't believe it. But doesn't it kind of make you just want to like jump out of your skin in excitement? Christ lives in you. The infinite God-man, the second person of the Trinity, dwells in you. What a joy, what a salvation, what a transforming truth. The trick is we need to live in light of this truth. We need to appropriate it by faith. That's what Paul goes on to say. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. You desperately need to take this truth and appropriate it in the daily moments of life, the rhythms of life, that the life I'm now living is Christ in me, and I appropriate that by faith in the Son of God. Faith not just for salvation, but faith 24-7 as I cling to Jesus and cry out, every hour I need you, Jesus, right? That's faith, clinging to Christ, dying to self uh, 24-7 in the everyday rhythms of life. Living in that truth that you died, Christ lives in you. Here's how I like to say it. Be who you are. That's what Galatians 2.20 is saying. Be who you are. In some ways, I I like to say that. Other ways, I hate to say that because I know the world we live in has taken that truth and perverted it. The world that we live in has taken that truth and curved it inward. That's what the world likes to do. The world likes to take biblical truth and twist it so that it becomes man-centered instead of Christ-centered. And so the world that we live in will say, be who you are, meaning, you know, if you're born that way, you're born that way. Just, Just be who you are. But that's not what Scripture means or what I mean when it says, be who you are. God wants you to be the real you. He wants you to be who you are. But the you he is talking about is not the you that you were or are by nature. The you that he wants you to be is the you he's made you by grace. By nature, the you that you are is very sinful, so God does not say, relax, you were born that way. Scripture says, God says, good news, you were reborn another way. That by grace I have changed you and transformed you, now be who I've made you to be. Be who you are. Be Christ in you. Do Christ in you. What does Christ in you look like through your personality and your ambitions and your desires? That's what's meant biblically by be who you are. Be Christ in you. At your workplace, at your home, at church, wherever. And I would ask you, before I kind of turn and apply this to marriage, is Christ in you? Is Christ in you? Have you recognized your sin? 
Have you placed your faith and hope and trust in Christ and Christ alone? Are you still in the flesh? Which cannot please God? You can do all the works you want to do. Romans 8, 7, the flesh can't please God. But you, have you been born again? Have you come to faith in Christ? Is Christ in you this morning? I don't want to assume that that's true for all of us here. Is Christ in you? Have you been united to Christ by the Spirit? Hopefully by now you're back at Galatians 2.20. Look at Galatians 3, verse 2. Galatians chapter 3, verse 2 says, Paul says, Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? And the answer is, of course not. Did you receive the Spirit by faith of the law? Or by hearing with what? Faith. Listen, the Holy Spirit is given to everyone and anyone who comes in faith, who comes renouncing their sin, comes renouncing their good works, repenting of your good works, recognizing that your good works apart from faith are worthless, and comes clinging to the Savior by faith. When you cling to the Savior by faith, you receive the Spirit with faith. Have you been united to Christ by faith through the Spirit this morning? Are you abiding in Him? If not, you can receive Him right now by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Confess your sins to God Almighty. He sees them anyways. He's not surprised by them. He's not shocked by them. He knows them. He knows the worst part of you. Confess them to Him. Turn from them. Place your faith in Christ. Receive the Spirit. Be united to Christ. Die before you die that you might truly live. But what does Christ in me mean for marriage? I'm going to come at this from two ways. You can see that in your notes if you're following in the notes. Christ in me for marriage. It impacts our roles and it impacts our relationships uh, turn to Ephesians 5, uh, just for a moment with me, if you would. Ephesians chapter 5, just a flip of the page to the right, maybe four or five pages, and you're in Ephesians 5. In Ephesians 5, uh, verses 22 and following, uh, to the end of the chapter, uh, we see uh, these different respective roles that God has given us as husband and wife. So I want you to think about how Christ in you helps you fulfill the role Uh, that God has given you as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, as a husband or a wife. So, husband, notice verse 23. Verse 23 says, The husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. So, husband, just as Christ is the head of the church, you, O husband, are to be the head of your wife. Now, how does Christ lead? Because headship means leadership. How does headship, how does Christ and his headship lead? Well, Christ leads the church for the sake of the church. Christ does in his leadership all that he does for the welfare and the benefit and the health and the promotion of his bride, the church. So it should be the same with you, O husband. 
as you are the head of your home, the head of your wife, you are to lead with the best interests of your wife in mind. Being a man is not about earning money and mowing the lawn and having a cave and controlling the remote and scheduling out who can use that when and where, right? That's, that's not what manhood is. Manhood is not about barking out orders. Manhood and having headship and leadership is leading with the best interests of your wife in mind. It's using your gifts and your skills and your personalities uh, to lead your home just as Christ leads the church. Now, if you're a husband, like I am right now, you're thinking, that's impossible. It gets worse before it gets better. Look at verse 25. Husbands, what's to say, husbands? Love your wives. How? As Christ loved the church. How did he love the church? He gave himself up for her. This is so important, it gets said again in verse 28. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. And it's so important, it gets said again in verse 33. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. Three times, husbands, three times. Love your wife as Christ loves the church. What a calling. Again, the aim of such loving leadership is to lead your wife to Christ. Your wife should be more like Christ because she's married to you than she would be if she wasn't. That's that's, that's the idea there. Love your wife as Christ loved the church. Give yourself up for her. Die for her daily. As I said last week, your goal as a husband is not, emphatically not, happy wife, happy life. It is holy wife. That's your goal as a husband and your leadership as the head and as you love. Your loving leadership should lead your wife to be more like Christ, to find her ultimate meaning in Christ, to find her identity in Christ. And as she finds her identity in Christ, she becomes happy, fulfilled, satisfied. That's your role as a husband. Love her and lead her in such a way she finds it all in Christ and is so satisfied and in love with Christ. What a calling. Is there any husband who feels up for that one? Okay, how about the wives? Everyone just loves verse 22. Wives. What's that next word? I'm going to have you guys say it. Submit. And some of you husbands are like, submit. All right? Submit. To your own husbands as to the Lord. Listen, submit is not a dirty word. It's not a word that should make you cringe. Submit is a Christ-like word. The Lord Jesus Christ is the second person of the Trinity. He's equal with the Father. And the Lord Jesus Christ submitted to the Father. Oh, wives, there's nothing more godly, nothing more Christ-like than to submit. In doing so, you're modeling, imitating your Savior. What a calling that is. What a calling that is. I know husbands don't make it easy. But submit submit yourselves to your husbands as to the what? The Lord. It's the Lord who ultimately you're submitting to. And his way, and his truth, 
and his counsel. Maybe as a wife you're saying, impossible. I can't do that. Well, same thing as a husband. It gets worse before it gets better. Verse 33 says, However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she what? Respects her husband. Well, I'll respect him when he acts respectfully. Is that what it says? Respect your husband. Honor him. Don't speak down about him. Build him up. Encourage him. Revere him. That's what that word means. Respect your husband. Now, I've been in biblical counseling for 20 years. I've counseled a lot of married couples. I've heard pretty much every excuse in the book, and I've thrown them out myself before, uh, why a husband can't lead or love and why a wife can't submit or respect her husband. One of the most common reasons that I hear is, is, is essentially this. You might not quite say it this way, but I think I can categorize it this way, is I can't do that. I can't lead my wife this way. I can't love my wife this way. I can't submit to my husband this way. I can't respect my husband in this way. And you know what the Bible says to that? Of course you can't. But that's why you abide in Christ. That's why you die to self. That's why Christ lives in you. To do what? To transform you to live the life you could never live apart from him. This is Christ in me. You are united by faith in Christ. Christ lives in you, and he has given you the power and the ability and the strength to to lead and to love and to submit and respect. Don't believe me? Look at Ephesians 5, verse 18. Ephesians 5, verse 18 is a command. It says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the what? The Spirit. Now look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the who? The Lord and in the strength of his might. And I find it very interesting that right after Paul writes about marriage and family, launches in Ephesians 6 a discussion about spiritual warfare. Because where does spiritual warfare happen? In your marriage and in your family, yes? That's where the battle is. And so I find it, find it incredibly encouraging that what bookends uh, this, the respective roles in marriage and what God calls you to be as a husband and wife begins with be filled with the Spirit and ends with be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. What's that saying? That's saying Christ in me. And his spirit controlling me and his strength enabling me to be the godly husband and the godly wife he calls me to be that I can never ever do or even want to do apart from him. You see? Christ in me transforms your roles. Isn't that cool? Hopefully that's encouraging. Not just that, it changes your relationships. Christ in me changes how you relate to one another. I want to come at this three ways, and they're in your notes. First, husband and wife, your union with Christ gives you immense honor and dignity. I want to say that because perhaps as you consider yourself, you see yourself as a failure Maybe as if we've just, just gone through those respective roles that, that you have as a husband or a wife, you're thinking, man, I'm, I am a terrible husband. 
I am a terrible leader. I am a terrible lover. I'm full of self. I'm living for me all the time. Maybe as a wife, you're thinking the same thing. I, I'm a failure as a wife. I don't submit. I, I don't respect very well. Is that you, husband or wife, this morning? Do you feel beat up? Do you feel discouraged? Do you feel defeated? That's not your identity. I have no doubt that in some ways, as a husband or a wife, you have failed, you have sinned. I know that you have. Maybe there's some of that sin you still need to confess and repent from and work through with your husband or wife. But listen, 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 listen. Your failures as a husband or wife do not define you. And they don't have to shape the rest of your life as a husband or wife. The husband or wife, if you are by faith clinging to Christ, that is your identity. You, are, you have Christ in me. That you are united to Christ. You are defined by who dwells in you, co-crucified, co-risen. That's your hope for growth and change and purpose. Listen, on, on your worst day's husband and on your worst day's wife, rejoice God is for you. God is in you. He is strengthening you. He is transforming you. He has given you all that you need to be the godly wife or husband he calls you to be. And that's your identity. Your identity is Christ in me. So when you feel weak, when you feel helpless, you feel insufficient, rejoice. Christ is your strength. Jesus is for you, but you cannot be yourself, let alone others. He is the source of your life. That's your identity. That's your dignity, husband and wife. That's your dignity this morning, Christ in you. Man, be anchored in that identity. Not wife or husband, Christ in me. And secondly, your chief relationship, because of your unity with Christ, your chief relationship is not your husband or wife, your chief relationship is God. I'm going to tell you something that might hit you weird at first, but I think you'll understand as I go, that I love someone more than I love my wife, Valerie. And my wife, Valerie, would tell you she loves someone a whole lot more than she loves me. And because I love someone more than her and she loves someone more than me, our marriage is all the better, not worse. And what I'm talking about is our love for the Savior. My identity is Christ, not my wife or my husband. And therefore, I set my affections greater on my Lord and my Savior. And as I set my affections on my Lord and my Savior, that transforms me and enables me to be the husband God calls me to be. If I set my affections first and foremost on my spouse, then I've made it all about her, and I've become self-centered again. But marriage calls us to be God-centered. And so I set my affections on the Lord Jesus Christ. My love for him surpasses my love for my wife. And she would say the same, and she would praise God for the same. And because that is true, something supernatural happens. We are transformed. Because you see, the more you love God, the more you love Jesus, the more you are transformed into his image, and the more you think and act and talk and feel and emote and have attitudes like he does, you see? It utterly changes your marriage. And this is so important. There, there, there's a wonderful book out there. It might even be in our resource center called When Sinners Say I Do. 
That's what marriage is. It's two sinners saying, I do. And living out the reality of your union with Christ while married to a sinner is one of the hardest things you'll ever have to do. Parenting is a close second. But we read that text this morning. Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. Apart from Christ, we can do nothing. Therefore, you must make your union with Christ first and foremost, not your union with your spouse. Amen? Let me say it this way. Do not make your goal from the messages I'm preaching or as you read God's word or books you're reading, do not make your goal walking out of this to say, I'm going to be a better husband or I'm going to be a better wife. That is not the goal I'm looking for or preaching for or aiming for that does not make your marriage stronger. Please walk out of these messages saying something like this. I am going to love the Lord Jesus Christ by whom I am united by faith with all of my heart, soul, strength, and mind. That I'm going to cling to Jesus and pursue Jesus and live in fact in light of the fact that I am co-crucified and co-risen. Because the more you do that, the more you will be more like Christ. And the more you're like Christ, the more his character will flow out of you in the everyday moments of life. His joy, his love, his peace, his patience, and so on will begin to transform and saturate your marriages. And can I just say a word to... Maybe some of our teens here who are dating or you're thinking about dating or you're engaged, looking to get married, that this has, speaks volumes of truth to you also. That you need to really wrestle with this question, what is the most important quality in my boyfriend or my fiance or my future spouse? What is the most important quality It cannot be, it must not be, well, it just feels right. He's so cute. Well, the ring fit. It can't be those things. It can't be, well, they're so nice. Listen, I'm not saying those things don't matter, but I am saying that sin will trump and alter every one of those things. What is the main thing to look for in your fiancé? What is the main thing to look for in your boyfriend? It's this. Are they passionate about the Lord Jesus Christ? If they are not passionate about the Lord Jesus Christ, you really need to rethink that relationship. You also need to check your own life. Is the greatest passion and pursuit of your life, Jesus Christ, is glorying Jesus, glorifying Jesus, the determination of your life. I'm telling you, there's nothing more important than this, because when Jesus is at the center of your life, he makes you the greatest, uh, most loving, most friendly, most godly person you can be. And that is what will make your marriage endure. Not because they're cute, not because they're nice, because they're going to get older and they're not going to be so cute. And there's going to be days where they're not so nice. And what do you need? You need Christ. And so, again, if, 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 if that's what you're pursuing and thinking, if you're in that dating relationship, man, what's their ambition? What do they think about Christ? Are they reading God's Word? Are they praying? Do they go to church at a, at a good, healthy local church? Is Christ their main ambition? And is that your main ambition? Or have you already fallen into the lie of transaction? Well, I feel so happy when I'm with him or her. 
That's great. But are you finding more happiness in her or him than Christ? And if you are, major red flags need to start popping. So make your passion, husbands and wives, future husbands and wives, the Lord Jesus Christ, because you are united to him by faith. Amen? Thirdly, your union with Christ empowers you to love your spouse in his most difficult moments, or her most difficult moments. I need you to hear this as we think about Galatians 2.20, that if the Lord Jesus Christ is prepared to live in your spouse with love, if Jesus is prepared to do that, to live in your spouse, to dwell in your spouse with love, then should you not also be prepared to do the same? Amen? Christ in you means you are now able to cover a multitude of sins in your marriage. Let me give you a silly, goofy, stupid illustration. Just last week, uh, I went out to our smaller uh, pole barn, not pole barn, little shed, to clean it out. I hadn't done that in a couple of years. Uh, and there were tons of cobwebs, tons, tons of dirt. It was yucky. It was pretty nasty in there. So I didn't think anything of it. I went in the house, grabbed a broom, started sweeping away. For my wife to come out, I don't know, a few minutes later, and discover that I'm using the broom <clears throat> that is only to be, apparently, an indoor broom. <clears throat> Have you heard of those things before? <laughs> I've never heard of any such thing in my life, an indoor broom. <clears throat> and me and my love, as she confronts me on it, says, who cares? It's a broom. <clears throat> Wasn't that so loving? She was not very happy. Later, I, I come inside. Here's even the more sinful, stupid thing I do. I keep using it. I, I already ruined it. <laughs> so I come inside, and my wife grabs it and beats me to death. No. <laughs> she does not do that. <clears throat> she would have been justified in doing that. My wife came in, and I sought her forgiveness, and with a smile, she said, that's okay, it's not that big of a deal. <clears throat> then she beat me with a broom. No. <laughs> Pray for me. <laughs> Took me back to the shed, yes. <clears throat> I share that as an illustration, because you say that may sound small, kind of petty, kind of insignificant, but I tell you, it's little things like that that wreck marriages. It's little things like that, if not dealt with appropriately and quickly and biblically, they build up. I once counseled a a couple where uh, the one spouse told me fairly quickly on that they want to get divorced because my spouse never picks up their clothes and never closed the drawers. Now, is that why that person wanted to get divorced? What that is is 10,000 bad decisions of a lazy, selfish spouse And it just got to them over time. The little things build up. The little things build up and quickly wreak havoc in a marriage. But listen, Christ in you enables you to quickly confess your stupidity. To quickly confess your sin. To quickly confess your selfishness. But Christ in you also empowers you to say, I love you, I forgive you. When's the last time, husband or wife, you said to your wife, I forgive you? When's the last time, husband or wife, you said to your spouse, I'm sorry, please forgive me? 
not I apologize. That's the easy way out. We teach our kids from the ground up, I apologize doesn't cut it in our house. I don't want an apology. I want you to recognize you sinned and ask for forgiveness because that's teaching them salvation. We don't go to Christ and say, I apologize. No, we, get, we go and we say, I'm a sinner. I've sinned against you. Please forgive me. And in love, God forgives. And in love, if you're united to Christ, you say to your husband or your wife, I forgive you. And man, doesn't your heart soar and your hearts knit together when that happens? When I was a young boy, I had a rock polisher. How many of you had a rock polisher growing up? Or a rock tumbler, something like that. How many of you still have that and you still play with that and find that fun and fascinating? All the hands go down. I'm the only one. Okay. I loved that growing up, that rock tumbler. If you know how that works, you put a bunch of rocks inside of it. They tumble over each other. And as they tumble over each other, they glance off each other and polish each other. Except I've missed one key ingredient, right? When you have that rock tumbler, you have to put this powder in there with it. If you don't put that powder in there with it, those rocks no longer glance off each other. They do this. And they actually shatter and break each other. So instead of coming out all smooth and shiny and and fun to hold and feel and look at, they come out shattered into little pieces. I suggest to you that that powder that you put in that tumbler is the crucial ingredient. It's forgiveness. And it's the crucial ingredient in your marriage. Because in your marriage, you're going to tumble against each other and hit against each other, right? That's the nature of marriage. When sinners say, I do, there's going to be conflict. But without grace and forgiveness then when you come against each other, you're going to shatter each other and destroy each other. But when you're walking in your identity in Christ and your union with Christ and you recognize, I died with him, Christ lives in me, you're now able to forgive that sin because it doesn't compare in the slightest to the sin you committed against the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you forgive them and now you glance off each other and you're more like Christ because of it. That's what your union in Christ does for you. It enables you to love the unlovable and forgive the unforgivable. It also enables you to speak the truth in love. It enables you, brothers and sisters in Christ, husbands and wives, and it's usually the husbands who do this, who have a hard time saying anything else other than, how are you doing today? Fine. Really, the day was miserable and was awful. And if your co-worker asks you that, you talk to him for 20 minutes. But when it comes to your wife, you just don't share and open up. You say, I can't. I don't know how. Yes, you can. You have Christ in you who speaks the truth in love. It also enables you to no longer do the silent treatment. Who does that? Don't put your hand up for that. (laughs) Silent treatment. That's a big one, right? I've done that. My wife does something I don't like. I go silent. I've gone silent for days. And my wife lovingly, patiently, way better Christian than I am, pursues the Lord Jesus Christ and loves me anyways. But because of my union in Christ, I am able to open my mouth and share my heart without fear of what you're going to think of me, fear of your condemnation, because Christ lives in me. Amen? He knew me at my worst. He's loved me and he saved me. What you think of me in a sense, doesn't matter, right? Because Christ lives in me. It enables me not to nag, not to complain, uh, not to uh, do grumbling. It enables me to speak the truth in 
love. What a salvation. What a salvation. Christ lives in me. By faith you died with Christ. By faith you were buried with Christ. By faith you were raised to life in Christ. Now Christ is in you. The biggest challenge now moving forward to experience this life is to employ it, to embrace it by faith in the everyday moments of life. That walking out of here this morning, you're saying, I'm going to walk by faith in the Son of God, and that's going to change how I interact and relate in my roles in my relationship with my spouse. You know, a family can own a grocery store and starve to death right? A family can own a grocery store and starve to death if they don't eat the food that's on the shelves. And you can have this message delivered to you, and you can have this truth uh, that's been explained and be united to Christ. You can do that same thing, have all this truth, but you don't eat it. You don't live it out. You don't don't put it to the flesh, put it to the the foot, to the, the pedal, so to speak. So please don't do the same with this tremendous truth. Don't shelve this truth. Don't neglect this truth. Instead, ponder afresh. I hope the sermon has done that. It's helped you to ponder afresh. I hope you just want to jump out of your skin that you have Christ in you. I hope that truth is singing in your heart right now. And the fact is we have an opportunity right now to ponder afresh our union. Uh, Today is uh, the Lord's Supper And hopefully you should have one of those on your seat or in front of you or next to you. But what this is, is a time to remember, to ponder afresh your union with the Lord Jesus Christ. To ponder afresh what Christ has done for us. This is a reminder of the gospel. This does not save you. That's ridiculous to think. If you eat this or drink this, that somehow saves you. Right? This is a, is a way to ponder afresh, to remember I am united by faith in Christ, that the Lord Jesus Christ loved me and he gave himself for me. We dare not take that lightly. We dare not uh, just kind of be like, well, whatever. What a, what a gift, what a reminder this is of our union. So in a moment, I'm going to ask us to bow our heads But just a few things I want us to think about as we ponder afresh and think about this. I want you to think about this. I'm going to ask that question again. Do you know Christ? Have you confessed your sins? Have you placed your faith in him? Do you know Christ? If you don't know Christ, do not partake in this. Do not receive this. Put it down and bow your heart before God and receive him right now. Do you know Christ? If you know Christ, ask yourself this. Is there sin in your life? Is there sin that you're cherishing? Is there conflict with your wife or your husband that needs to be resolved? What's the Lord been bringing to your heart through this message? Maybe you just need to go to him and confess, Lord, I have not been living in light of the reality of my union with you. I've been doing it in my own strength. Forgive me, Father. Maybe you need to go to your spouse right now uh, and just confess, I've not been leading you well. I've not been loving you well. I've not been submitting to you well. I've not been respecting you. Maybe you need to do that right now. Those are things to ponder as you bow your heads and just think through, ponder these things afresh. And as you're praying about that, thinking about that, uh, in a moment or two, Chuck will come up and he will lead us in partaking of the Lord's Supper. Okay? So please, bow your heads, go to the Lord in prayer, ponder through those things.
and then Brother Chuck will 